So um, there's this thing called the seat of your pants, and it is a tool by which you can fly. And that that is what Tanada and I are doing. Now, that, I mean, that's that's only partially true. When we say that, there's, uh, there's a lot of preparation that goes into uh, preparing that seat of the pants. But um, we, have, we have not rehearsed what uh, her and I are going to be doing. That's accurate, right? Uh, that is so accurate. And I realized this morning, as I was outlining these practices, I was like, all of these are very quiet. They're very like, <laughs> is everybody going to come back on if they turn their cameras off? I definitely had that moment of like, oh yeah, this is definitely a transitional day. And these are very restful practices. So Which will we good. make it easily? Will we? So. <laughs> no, as um, Pope Francis has said, if you fall asleep while you pray, it is a sign that you need more sleep. So, <laughs> yeah, today we're doing contemplative practices, uh, contemplative ways of understanding and reading and experiencing scripture. And as we've said for at least a week or two, you know, there are informational ways of reading scripture, uh, ways that we learn and we are challenged and we are getting facts and data. Uh, and then there are formational ways of reading scripture uh, in which we are not attempting to master it, but rather allowing it to master us, uh, where we are uh, entering into it on its terms and allowing, um, you know, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And oftentimes in the West in particular, um, the Sunday experience centers around a sermon, uh, which can be very informational. And our Bible study methods center around facts and data and background and context, which can be very data-centered. Uh, but Jesus said, don't just love God with your mind, but with your heart and your soul and your body as well. And so that's what we're going to be practicing today. Uh, so in that spirit, uh, let's begin with a slower uh, prayer and um, with lots of space and breaths and silence in it. And then uh, Tanetta and I will will collaborate on the fly as we introduce some of these practices to y'all. Uh, so I invite you to find a posture that is comfortable for you. Uh, I encourage you one to find one that uh, communicates openness. So, you know, if you're crossed arms or crossed legs, maybe uncross. Um, if you're seated, you could be, you know, cross-legged or something like that, but maybe you could find your feet uh, on the ground so you could feel well planted and rooted to the earth. Um, try to open up your chest and your neck, uh, either upward towards the sky or, um, you know, towards an open window. If you find closing your eyes helpful, go for it. If you find centering your, your attention on uh, a special or holy object or flame, if you have a candle, uh, go ahead and do that. The important thing is just try to find uh, a posture that you find relaxing and that you can hold on to for a little bit. And as you do that, uh, I invite you to take a big, deep breath in through your nostrils and hold it, hold it, and then slowly let it go through the mouth. I invite you to take another deep breath in through the nose. When you get to the fullness of your lungs, hold that breath and then slowly let it go through the mouth. And as your breathing returns to a normal rhythm, 
Uh, just find the place where your attention most naturally finds the breath. So that may be in your belly, in your chest, uh, the feeling of air across uh, your upper lip, and just allow your attention to rest there. Triune God, we trust that you are here with us, closer than our breath. And God, even though there are a million things that vie for our attention, we will keep gently bringing our attention back to your loving presence. God, as we enter into your holy scriptures this afternoon, may we do so with hope and expectancy, daring to believe that you might meet us there. Just rest in silence for a moment. Be with us, we pray. Amen. All right, Tanetta, did you want to start with the questions, the Jesus questions? All right. Um, so uh, one of the ways that I um, thought about this, uh, or one of the things that came up for me um, around pray this kind of praying, is essentially praying um, the questions that Jesus asked. Like, So I, let me say one thing. So I think what's fascinating is it was difficult for me as I was thinking about this to separate contemplative ways of reading from prayer. Like they were very intertwined, right? So I want to name that. So I think uh, one thing that came up was uh, praying the questions that Jesus asked. In the Gospels, Jesus is constantly asking people's questions that probe where they are in the deepest parts of our hearts. So I think uh, compiling those and then praying through them can be a good practice. For reference, a great place to go from some of, for some of these is this book called 50 Ways to Pray. It's just a basic book by a spiritual director, um, but it has a whole section on just essentially pray, you know, creative ways to pray with scripture. Um, so let's go to John 1, John 1, and uh, starting at 35 is what we're going to do. So this is uh, the section of scripture that is after the famous prologue that we often read around Christmas about the word becoming flesh and moving into the neighborhood, dwelling among us. Uh, then John the Baptist comes on the scene um, and encounters some disciples, proclaims Jesus the Lamb of God. Um, and then there's this little section toward the end um, where Jesus asks a really important question. So let's Take a second to look at this. I'm going to read it slowly. It's very small, 35 through 38. Close your eyes. Continue with what Anthony was saying in terms of breath. And the point will be to focus in on this question and to feel where you are in your heart. So I'm going to read this passage and then just allow about a minute to go by of utter silence. And in that time, think about where you are with this question. The next day, John was there, again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? So take about a minute to meditate on that question that Jesus asked these disciples and is in many ways is continually asking you, what do you want? What are you looking for this day? What are you searching for? What are you longing for? Let me read it one more time. 
The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? So in this final minute of silence, pay attention to what's happening in your body as you think through and feel through what you want. Where is the spirit at work? Where does the spirit feel a lot? And what might that mean? Just one more minute. Okay. In just a second, I'm going to ask you, that was truncated. Um, Usually it will spend a little bit more time. I'm going to ask you how that felt. Um, And you're definitely free to share if there's anything you feel like you want to share in the space about what came up. Um, But want to name that there are kind of a lot of contemplative exercises with scripture that revolve around kind of that basic pattern of reading a scripture, reading for a question, uh, like reading questions, or Anthony's going to talk about imaginative prayer, where you focus more on the senses, Um, you know, reading a scripture and then thinking about dialoguing, actually talking to the characters, and then moving through patterns of reading, silence, reading, silence, turning words over and over in your mind and your heart and paying attention to what comes up. So there's a number of ways to do that. This one was focused on Jesus's questions. So I'm curious when a question that is that blunt directly from the mouth of Jesus comes to you, like what, what happened in your body? I'll share what um, I, um, it felt like I hadn't taken a second for a really long time. It felt like the first time I like slowed down um, and just, focused on one question rather than, I don't know, reading a few verses. Yeah. So it was, it was really interesting and slow to be able to really think about it. I I definitely appreciate that. And I, I appreciate as thinking about uh, these questions makes me think about as well, how the disciples must've felt being asked such direct questions uh, and a name that I, I made that super short, but yeah, normally this would be 10 or 15 minutes just on that question. Um, so yeah, it is interesting. You point out like, yeah, maybe sometimes it feels refreshing or feels like something we don't normally do to make space for something that is so simple and direct. Anybody else? Like what came up in you? That basic exercise. I think it would be I would be really interested in trying it for the longer period of time because I think having the shorter time frame, I was sort of almost felt like I was needed to come up with an answer quickly <laughs> rather than just being able to sit and sort of think through, you know, the, if the first thing that pops into my head, I can sort of examine a little bit further rather than just like, you know, giving myself the time to sort of process. So I think I will definitely be taking this away as something to, yeah, use, use in sort of the giving it the full 10, 15 minutes sort of practice. It's very good. Yep. For me, it felt a little bit like when you're not totally paying attention in class, like not specifically this class, but just in general in class and the teacher's like, oh, can you answer this question? And you're like, oh, not really. No. <laughs> so I wasn't paying attention. And so, um, Yeah, to have like one of the questions, I feel like, I mean, I've read the book of John so many times and to have it like turned around and be like, oh, what do you want? It's like, it took me aback a little bit. Um, And so I feel like the first minute of that was just me trying to wrap my head around like, oh, you're talking to me. Oh, okay. (laughs) 
Yeah, I feel like I often read the Gospels and go, that's a great question. And then I keep reading, right? I don't actually stop to think about, okay, like how that question resonates. It's a good question. Where does it, where does it take me here now in my time and place? I think about the at least two different ways to hear Jesus with that question, which could be the annoyed parent. What do you want? (laughs) Uh, Which, man, I take that posture too much. Or the, you know, concerned, you know, affectionate companion. What, what, what do you want? Um, and yeah, the, yeah I'm a, on a bit of a obsessive thought pattern about how we think about God these days. But, you know, how we hear that voice of Jesus. Is it annoyed? Is it caring? Uh, says a lot about me and how I perceive God. Yeah, I don't name. I'm I'm amazed by practices like this because um, you know I they form us toward not just giving the right answer, or the short answer, or the easy answer. And I think lots of like our schooling, et cetera, et cetera, has formed us for that. Like, what is the right answer? And I remember. I remember. Um, so y'all know probably already know. I'm a little bit of a Randy Woodley geek. Um, He's an indigenous uh, theologian scholar. And he, the first time I ever saw him speak in person, it was a small group of folks. And he said, we're going to enter into the space and we're going to explore some things, but no one is allowed to write. Like you're not allowed to write anything down. You have to just be present in your body and pay attention. There's no, there are no experts here. And I was like, Randy, I gotta write this down. Why are you doing this to me? But it's that same kind of like, what does it mean to be formed away um, form toward mystery and toward um, paying attention to your body and what the spirit is saying in this moment. Sort of going with that, I'm a uh, professor in college who would often say, like, I'm not looking for you to tell me the answer that I'm thinking of. I'm looking for you to tell me the actual answer that you think of. Um, with him, that was not true. He was looking for the answer. He was like, <laughs> but... I think we can imagine with God that there is a little more truth in the like, no, it's, it's genuinely just however you feel it. And like, just, I also think about like in, in the way Anthony rephrased the question with the emphasis on different words, um, the way that it hit me was definitely the emphasis on the word, what of like, what do you want? And so that idea sort of thinking through it in with different Emphases, emphases is a word. Emphases um, is really interesting to sort of think through, like what that, how that hits differently, the the different way it's said. Yeah, yeah, I'm fascinated by. I'm always fascinated and get so much from practices that slow us down and make us pay attention to the words, say the words over and over again. Anthony, I don't know if you want to move through, because yeah, again, I feel like there's kind of a cluster of different ways of following that basic pattern, but focusing on different things, depending on uh, kind of what we're hoping for. Yeah, yeah. Let's move into Lexio, because that's a nice, slow, kind of repetitive practice. Um, do some screen sharing. This is from an old retreat that I led uh, years ago now, but um, just a few scriptures to center us versus Psalm 1. It said, Blessed is the one who does not 
uh, and listen to these verbs. It does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. In Psalm 119, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And First Timothy 3, every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, which, by the way, back to my inerrancy uh, uh, soapbox, uh, yeah, useful one way or another. Could be showing us things not to do, showing us truth exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live in God's way. Through the word, we are put together. There's that formational aspect and shaped up for the tasks God asks, has for us. So Lexio Divina, um, I'm just going to read from uh, this, is one of the great treasures of the Christian tradition of prayer. Lexio Divina means divine reading, which is reading the book we believe to be in some way divinely inspired. This tradition of prayer flows out of a Hebrew method of studying the scriptures, which was an interactive interpretation of the scriptures by means of the free use of the text to explore its inner meaning as part of the devotional practice of the Jews in the days of Jesus. Lexio Divina is the most traditional way of cultivating friendship with Christ. Uh, so, you know, uh, how, do you, how do you build a personal relationship with Jesus? Well, the way that the ancients did it was through this sort of reading. It's a way of listening to the text of Scripture as if we were in conversation with Christ and he was suggesting the topics of conversation. It is listening with the ear of the heart. The daily encounter with Christ and reflection on his word leads beyond mere acquaintanceship to an attitude of friendship, trust, and love. The relationship uh, between Lexio Divina and Bible study is Bible studies are reading scriptures for information and understanding of context, and it provides a solid conceptual background for the practice of Lexio. And Lexio is reflective reading. It's a method of prayer that leads us to a deeper meaning of scripture. Contemplative reading of scriptures is compatible with well-grounded interpretation of the Bible. And part of why this paragraph exists, because I was... Um, I was teaching a group of folks who were maybe a little spooked around anything that smacked of mysticism or uh, anything that was too old or contemplative. Uh, and so just saying that these two things go well together. So here are the steps for Lexio Divina. And if you type this into Google, you'll find it you know, spelled out a bunch of different ways. And it's a flexible framework. Um, so if as soon as you try to like make this utterly inflexible and concrete, you're kind of missing the point. Um, but there, there are four basic moments in uh, Lexio Divina. Moment one is Lexio to read the scripture. And the idea is to read it as slowly as you can stand, listening with the ear of your heart. And then you're basically trying to detect what phrase or sentence or even single word stands out to you. And you begin to repeat that phrase or sentence or word over and over, allowing it to settle deeply within you. And then you read this passage again, slowly, at least two more times, stopping to consider certain phrases or words or questions that may arise. And it's okay to you know write some things down, to journal through it a little bit, but the intent is not to be like, ooh, I wonder what this word means, and go to your you know Bible Gateway Plus subscription or a Bible dictionary. You're like, you're not looking to nerd out. You're just allowing these things to settle within you. Moment two 
as you're kind of moving into a deeper level of reflection, the meditatio, meditate or reflect. You're reading the passage yet again, so at least time number four. And now you're attempting to place yourself into the story or the passage. You place yourself as one of the characters within the story. And again, this is assuming this is a narrative-based um, piece of scripture, but a lot of scripture is. Simply imagine that the words on the page are the words that you yourself are speaking to God. And using your imagination, use your senses. If you were a character, what would you be seeing, touching, tasting, hearing, smelling? What emotions would be rising up within you? And as someone who struggles experiencing emotions deeply, uh, this sort of exercise is really helpful for me to uh, empathize and identify with people uh, and to practice using my own emotions. Uh, then begin to reflect on and relish the words and thoughts and feelings and let them resound in your heart. And you let an attitude of quiet receptiveness permeate the prayer time. And you're just paying attention to what speaks to you. And again, you can pause to write down what you may be thinking or feeling at this point. But again, stopping yourself from going super uh, intellectual or heady, but trying to stay in the emotive parts of you. Moment three, uh, oratio to pray. Speaking to God as you continue to listen to that phrase or sentence or word. A prayer of praise or thanksgiving or petition may arise. And it may arise out of the emotions or feelings that you're having as you consider that passage. It may be lament. It may be why. It may be, um, you know, a plea of some kind, or it may be just a simple prayer of thank you, of gratitude. And then finally, moment four is uh, contemplation, contemplatio, to rest in God, to simply be with God's presence as you open yourself to a deeper hearing of the word of God. Sit in silence, allowing the choppy ways of your soul to come to a place of stillness and rest. If you feel drawn back to the scriptures, follow the lead of the Spirit. I've recently heard it said um, that as you try to meditate, uh, you can imagine all your distractions and emotions and feelings as a bunch of like ships on the sea. And the intention of meditation is to be the sea, to let those emotions and feelings be, let them happen, let them float across the choppy waves of the sea, but to try to bring yourself into a sense that you are the ocean, which all these things are bobbing about in. Um, an Anglican priest whose name escapes me at the moment um, said that oftentimes our prayer life can be uh, rehearsing our anxieties aloud. And there are moments for that. <laughs> um, but contemplation is wordless prayer, simply sitting in the presence of a, of a loved one. So we're going to put this to practice. We're going to use a passage from uh, Mark chapter 8. And I'll give you just a tiny bit of background and context uh, to help get rid of any sort of distractions as you read the text. Uh, number one, keeping in mind that in ancient times, most people lived outside of a city. Okay. So you'll understand as we read the passage why that's important to know. But most people did not live in urban areas or even in villages or small towns. They were A lot of folks were farmers. They were uh, grazing things from the ground. And to have an urban center uh, as a place where you lived was pretty rare. Um, so keeping that in mind. Thing number two to keep in mind, spit or saliva 
could be used in two different ways. It could be used insultingly, as in spitting on someone. It was also a known medicinal, um, had a known medicinal use. Uh, so our spit today, like, has some uh, slight um, antimicrobial qualities to it. So if you ever <laughs> needed to rub spit on a wound or seen a kid do that, there's a good instinctual reason why we do that. Um, and this happened in ancient times. They didn't have a germ theory of disease, but it was uh, something that happened. It was also something that magicians or traveling healers would do in attempt to do miraculous healings um, to you know varying levels of success. So if someone were to spit upon you, you wouldn't usually know the intention. Are they doing this to harm and insult you, or are they doing this to bring healing? Usually wasn't a lot of question as to what was happening. So those are the two pieces of con context and background. So what we're going to do is we're going to read this passage. I'll, I'll have it on the screen. And I'd like us to read it three times. Um, it looks like I am the only one uh, who identifies as a man here. So the other two readings, uh, just, yeah, I want to make sure that we get like a variety of kinds of voices in these three readings. Um, as you read read slowly, maybe more slowly than you feel like is even uh, necessary uh, to allow other people to soak into it. And um, after each reading, we'll just take a moment of silence to, to sit in it for a bit. And you're just looking for that word, phrase, picture, idea uh, as you're listening to the story. So I'll start and then I'll just have you know someone volunteer to read it the second, third time. Okay. All right. This is Actually, I'm going to turn off the screen share. I want you just to listen and not to read. And I'll send you a link uh, for the other readers. This is Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. Jesus and the disciples came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. So just take a moment, consider what rises within you, what word or phrase do you notice? All right, I put a link to the scripture in the chat if someone is willing to read it a second time for us. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, 
saying, don't even go into the village. Thank you, Al. So once again, just take a moment, reflect on anything that strikes you or sticks out to you. And if we could have one more person, read it. It came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were open. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. This time, if you are willing to share what word or phrase uh, has stuck out to you, I'd love for you just to share that vocally. I'm curious about the some people in verse 22. And he saw everything clearly. Led him outside the village. Beg Jesus to touch him. The use of like touch and hands throughout the, the section. Okay, I'm going to read the passage once again. We're going to move into second moment of Lexio, which is that meditation or reflection. And I want to invite you, maybe a little bit more directive than maybe I usually would be. I want to invite you to take on the character of the man who is blind and pay attention to what emotions or feelings you may have rising within you if you were experiencing this from his perspective. Jesus and the disciples came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. What thoughts, feelings, or emotions rise within you as you take on the perspective of the man who was blind? And if you're willing to share those with the group, I'd love that. I definitely felt the hope at the beginning, the sort of promise of the help that Jesus can bring, followed by maybe sort of anxiety or uneasiness about being led away from those who brought me, then maybe disappointment after the, when responding that the people look like trees, that maybe that's all the healing that is offered. And then relief and, and joy at um, the full restoration of sight. I kind of felt a bit like out of control for the first chunk of it, because like, there's a lot of leading him different places and then not a lot of like his own like agency or things like that i felt 
maybe a sense of um, weariness at the beginning of like how many times had this man, had I in this situation been told that someone could heal me and been dragged across town by people I maybe only sort of knew to be brought to some miraculous healer of a religious man. And so the, the weariness that comes with that, and then probably also the weirdness of being taken out of town instead of being made a spectacle for healing, like to have this healer rather than do it in front of all of these people who brought you to like be taken out and like the, the scariness that must come with being alone with someone you don't know and that you have to trust, but also the kind of relief that you aren't a magic trick um, this time around. And then maybe the feeling of something that occurred to me when reading this is he, he knows what people look like. He knows what people look like and he knows what trees look like. And so it makes me wonder if he used to be able to see or I used to be able to see it. Now I can I can see again and this feeling of like probably a deep sense of relief when I didn't have to go back through the village to see all of these people who have been waiting to see if the magic trick worked or not and instead can actually go see my family who probably couldn't be around me because of whether I was spiritually unclean or for whatever reason as like a disabled person in this society. And so just kind of the roller coaster of emotion that comes with being a spectacle and then being healed. Yeah, that's good. I've had the joy of leading I don't know, dozens of groups now through this passage, and um, there's usually a, a breakdown into what we apply onto the crowd um, of if we're trustful of the crowd or not, the people who bring the, the man who is blind. And um, I'll say there's some, there's some ambiguity in the words, um, so we're kind of breaking the mold of Lexio for a moment, but... Um, you can read it as some people dragged a blind man to Jesus and demanded him to touch and heal him, which definitely puts on a different flavor of what's happening. Um, you don't have to read it that way because some people do trust the, the, these are friends. These are people who desire good for this person. Um, but the phrase that always arrests me when I read this is Jesus took the man by the hand. And to me, I just read so much affection and endearing love in that moment of some people brought a blind man and Jesus takes by the hand. All right. The third moment, and we'll do our kind of our third and fourth moment in here, is to pray this passage and then to move into contemplation. So I'm going to read the passage once again. and. You are thinking through, how would I pray this to God? Um, what is what is the thing that I desire to be led out of the village from? What is Jesus asking me if I see? What are ways in which my healing seems partial and incomplete? Um, what is the village that Jesus is saying, don't even go back into? These are all ways that you can shape this into a prayer. So once again. Jesus and his disciples came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to Jesus and begged him to touch and heal him. Taking the blind man by the hand, Jesus led him out of the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. 
They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Take the next five minutes, pray this passage, and then allow yourself to just sit in silence with God. Take the next 30 seconds and begin to bring yourself back. Wiggle your fingers and toes. Remind yourself that you are an embodied soul. And then we'll come back together again. All right, Tanetta, I turn it to you. I have to go chastise my son for a second. Um, so I just wanted to, to note um, something that Anthony started at, us out with in this passage when he read Psalm 1. Um, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and speaking of the righteous person and on his law, he meditates day and night. Obviously I'm reading a not gender appropriate version. Sorry. I just grabbed a random Bible. Um, but I want to just point out that word meditates in Hebrew has these connotations. Um, I think the the most interesting way I've heard it described is as a dog gnawing on a bone. So that idea, again, of meditating, that like Lexio, whether we're praying questions, we're doing broader Lexio, we're praying imaginatively by praying our senses. They're all about like, how do we basically gnaw on a piece of scripture and turn it and turn it and turn it and turn it. Uh, so just, just wanted to note that. Um, as I was driving over here, one of the, this is just a tool um, that I thought of that I realized I hadn't even put in my notes, um, but that is really helpful and may feel like a little bit of a throwback. Um, but I think in terms of contemplative re reading, memorizing scripture can be actually really, I, if you don't need to memorize scripture because of where your background and where you came from, praise God, okay? <laughs> but, but I'll recognize like often memorizing portions of scripture and kind of like um, rehearsing them as you move throughout the day is a way of like practicing that gnawing and that meditating and seeing how different um, pieces of scripture feel in different places. Like, what does it feel like when you're reading um, a gospel story and you're standing in the, or you're, you know, you're rehearsing, reciting a gospel story that you've memorized and you're standing on a Metro platform. Like what are the nuances that are going to come out for you in that space um, that it won't come out for you and or may not come out from you in another setting. So I want to name that memorizing or at least walk kind of walking around with scripture can be a contemplative way to read it and to interact with it. Um, kind of along those lines, um, one thing that I've uh, found interesting to do in various seasons is to pray the hours, which is usually a way of interacting with scripture. So the hours, uh, in the Catholic Church, there are these canonical hours um, throughout the day of, you know, pray, and at each hour, a piece of scripture is prayed. Um, when you look at modern versions of this, you can be looking at the same piece of scripture, a different piece of scripture, pieces of scripture often centered in the Psalms. Um, but um, we'll note that, like, again, it's a way of, like, at set hours of the day, reciting scripture so that um, it comes up for you in different ways. And there are a bunch of books on this kind of thing. Like, what does it mean to pray the hours, to recite these prayers, particularly if you look for books on the Psalms, like I have this book called the Paraclete Psalter. 
And all it is is the Psalms broken up morning, noon, and night, and to continue to, to interact with them. Um, so I wanted to name that one. Um, the other thing I'll say about the Psalms that can be, I, I like to journal. Um, so a helpful practice could, could be to um, take a Psalm. The informational part of this is just to determine, is it a lament Psalm? Is it a Thanksgiving Psalm? Is it an imprecatory Psalm, which is a cursing Psalm? I love a good cursing Psalm. <laughs> um, you know, is it a coronation Psalm? There's these, you know, five or six kinds of Psalms. And depending on what you need in, in season to actually write your own Psalm based on that model. Um, and there are a whole, again, that's a, that's a practice you can also find. But um, that that is another way to like slow yourself down to both consider what, an author is saying in terms of your own heart and to consider how you interact, um, you know, uh, in your own circumstance and situation. Um, and then I think the only other one I'll just name as a really helpful kind of contemplative tool in interacting with scripture is pray as you go, um, which is all it is, is it's probably an app, but I just go to the website. <laughs> it's called pray as you go. And again, it's simply, um, I'm not sure who puts it on. I, I should have, I didn't look that up. But um, it's its some people, I believe they're British, and they read a piece of scripture and essentially do almost a Lectio Divina. So they lead you through three or four questions on a piece of scripture. It is not informational at all. It is all about what the spirit is saying to you. And that's something I often use like when I'm on vacation and I don't have what I you know, have a, a book with me or something like that. It's an easy way to just, all right, I have 15 minutes and I know I can listen to what the spirit is saying through this passage of scripture. It's, a, it's um, some Jesuits in the UK. Of course it's Jesuits. I should have known it was Jesuits. Of course, okay. Of course. Um, so those are some basic ones that I think, um, along with the Lectio, can be really, really helpful ways of interacting with scripture. Yeah, I'm going to point towards an unexpected resource. Um, there is this fabulous podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred oh. Text. And um, to be clear, they are not transphobic, unlike their Harry Potter's author, J.K. Rowling. Uh, but these two... Um, use meditative or contemplative ways of reading to understand Harry Potter, but they are knowingly doing this. They're not, I think they're sort of somewhat religious. One comes from a Jewish background one went to divinity school and then ended up being more of like a, um, oh, secular humanist, but they use these as a ways of understanding literature. If you're into Harry Potter and you want to understand meditative rays of scripture of reading and then you want to do the work of applying that to the Bible. Uh, it's a really, really great uh, way to go. And they've got, and we'll drop all these links in our notes as well once we send out the recordings, uh, but they've got a resource page, uh, which lists a whole bunch of different meditative ways of of, of reading scripture, including Lexio, uh, including um, a Jewish one called Parties, um, which is spelled with a D, not like, you know, going to a party. Um but it's this multi-layer w- way of reading. Um, so we'll, dr- we'll drop that resource as well. Um, but yeah, again, these are all, um, I forget who said it earlier. I think Shannon, you, you, just the idea of, ooh, when was the last time I just had a moment? <laughs> and uh, we, yeah, we can get so caught up in life 
even as you know, I, I'm a I'm a good religious person, and I've got all of my list of good religious things to do, and I it can go a while, and then realize like, oh shoot, when's the last time I just sat with God and just recognized God's presence? And so it's to me these sort of contemplative ways are a excellent an excellent reminder of this doesn't have to be all work. Uh, it can be a form of rest and choosing ways of reading, praying, meditating that are inherently life-giving and not life-sucking. Uh, you can do. You can do. Any yeah, final I'll, words? I'll, I'll just add there that I think when I read, um, I'm struggling to come up with an example at this exact moment, but um, often when you think about Christian mystics uh, throughout Christian history, lots of them are pretty radical <laughs> in their orientation toward things like empire, in their acceptance of, if I say this, I may be killed. Like lots of them, uh, uh, they, they come from this place of strong contemplation, but that contemplation often uh, uh, leads them toward um, I don't want to call it activism, but speaking out in particular in particular moments. And I think a lot, some of that, this is just my theory, is I think being formed in listening to the spirit, like what is coming up in you, is actually pretty radical. Again, like we're trained to think about God as transcendent, God is out there, God is over there, God is in this person's words or in that sermon. But that's always got to be balanced with the sense that like the spirit is speaking to me in ways that I need and speaking through me in ways that we need. Um, and so I, I, wanna, I just want to say that part of it, too, that contemplation, this kind of contemplative reading of scripture often leads into a greater rootedness that does uh, root out into the world for, for the good of all. Yeah, it's it's willing to question the status quo, which uh, is often, you know, as Heidi preached on, an empire of death. Um, it's willing to confront the, I don't know, the ways that we're used to being embodied and uh, enmeshed in on un, health. Um, so, yeah, as soon as contemplation becomes an excuse to remove yourself from the world, then uh, we've missed its point. Contemplation ought to be a way to get us back into it as transformed people. Yeah. Which is a pretty good capstone, I think, for the class of all scripture, all scripture reading, all biblical practice uh, ought to be transforming us, uh, transforming us into people who transform the world for holiness, justice, goodness, beauty. Yeah. I think we've said all there is to be said about the Bible tonight. But of course, <laughs> right, right. All right. Any final, any final anything from anybody? I just want to say thank you for having this course. It came at a really timely uh, stage of reading the Bible for me, whereas I wasn't reading the Bible. So I learned a lot of head stuff and heart stuff. And I do agree today was a really nice way to end the course. Good. I'm so glad. Thank you. You're going to have to wait a second, Leslie. All right. Tanetta, you want to close us out? Yes. I'm so grateful to be here. Yeah. Um, I would name, this is what always happens to me. 
I get to the end of the thing, and I'm like, oh no, it's ending. <laughs> like this is this iteration, this group of people that makes me a little sad. So um, I I am excited to continue these conversations in other ways, other formats, and to to hear also from y'all like what you know wasn't included. I'm sure we'll do this again, and uh, you know ways that you know we could approach the things that would be helpful. Always interested in all of that. All right. Spirit of God who so often comes to us in silence, so often comes to us in stillness, so often comes to us in waiting. In this moment, we bring our souls to rest, trusting that your sacred scriptures have something for us, that as we are courageous and full of faith to pick up and read that you will bring life and flourishing to us. I pray, Lord, that in any ways that we have been damaged or abused by the use of scripture, I pray that you would continue to bring healing and hope and joy. Help us to find you, to worship you beyond the words, and yet to trust that you are in them somewhere. I pray, God, that you would help us to rest this day to drink deeply from the well that is you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a good week. Bye, y'all. Thank you both.